as I said a minute ago, it uh, it really has. It's been a uh, it's been a pleasure to to worship with you this morning to. Uh, hear you sing. I don't often have my eyes open, but occasionally when I do, uh, just to uh, to see your your faces is uh, it's it's kind of a treat as well. Um, but to just hear uh, hear those songs, to hear and to to feel the uh, the passion that you are putting into those songs from up here is is really a a powerful powerful thing. It's been a a good week, I think, for us. Uh, the week that a lot of churches refer to as the Holy Week. You're more liturgical type churches. Particularly pay attention to the, the Holy Week. And it begins on, on Palm Sunday, which is the week before Easter. And that's what we did here. We, we talked about the triumphal entry of Jesus and how he came riding into Jerusalem. And the, the, the people were, were giving him praise for who he is. And they were... Uh, waving the palm branches and they were taking off their their coats and laying them on the ground as he came riding into Jerusalem on uh, on on that donkey and of course the week progresses and there's different things that Jesus does throughout the uh, throughout that particular week and you get to Thursday which is when the Passover would have been taken and also when the betrayal takes place when Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And of course, we know how the story goes. Almost every single person knows the part of the story that we talk about today, and that's the arrest of Jesus, the trials of Jesus, and the crucifixion of Jesus. All of that happened on, on Friday. Friday to us is known as Good Friday. But as we've stated for the last couple of weeks here at Cornerstone, that what it was to the people who experienced it was not Good Friday, it was Bad Friday. It didn't become Good Friday until Sunday. It took the resurrection to transform the darkest period that they'd ever experienced into their life into something beautiful and of course that's what God does he takes things that don't seem right and he flips it on its head and he uses it for his glory often I'll refer to it as the upside down kingdom of God because that is exactly what he does and we can only imagine what that day must have been like as Jesus was crucified. We did something new this year at Cornerstone for the first time. You heard Tim mention it briefly just a few minutes ago. It's called a tenebrae service. Tenebrae is a Latin word. It means darkness or shadows. And it's something that has been around since, uh, since the medieval period. And so we decided we were going to host a tenebrae service. And so we gathered in this room. We, uh, we did our best to get out as much of the light in here as we could. We met at 7 p.m. We uh, had, had covered all of these uh, lower uh, doors and windows. And so it was as dark as we could make it. And then we began to sing hymns. We talked about what tenebrae means. 
And as the service advances, it becomes darker and darker and darker. And it does this strategically because you are reading about the death and the burial of Jesus. And as you read the story, it gets darker because on the stage were seven candles. And after the readings, a candle would be blown out. And so it begins to get darker and you sort of feel the, the rhythm of that until you get to the reading where Christ actually commits his spirit to God and he dies. And it's then, and that's really the most dramatic moment of the service, as Sharon was reading that text to us in a very passionate way. And then she walked over and she picked up the only white candle on, on the table. It's the Christ candle. And she picked it up and extinguished it. And it was, we went into, into darkness. The whole idea behind the service is to help people feel as much as they can what the people would have experienced back then. And of course, we're a long way from anything they experienced. But if your church-going life and experience is anything like mine has been, then we tend to focus more on the resurrection than we do the, the dark part, right? Than we do the death. So the idea is for us to leave that service feeling the weight of the crucifixion. And so there are these readings and the psalms, the, the, the hymns are very somber songs. We deliberately cut out verses that have the resurrected part of a song because we wanted to feel the weight. We wanted it to stay with us. There were moments of silence deliberately built in where we meditated upon the text. And so combining all of that together, the readings, the response of the song, the songs, and the darkening of the room, it made for a very, very powerful effect that, that many carried with them. And at the end, we didn't do what typical church people do, what this church does so well. We didn't talk. We dismissed in complete silence. So that the, the weight, so that the darkness, so that the, the silence that those people felt would maybe in some way transfer just a little bit to us. The idea is it's supposed to leave you in a state that, longs, that, that leaves you longing for Sunday, that compels you toward resurrection, that, that, that makes you yearn for today. Because like I said, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the death we always talk about resurrection. But in order, I think, to truly appreciate the resurrection, we have to appreciate and feel as much as we can the death of Jesus. The shame that, that, that Jesus endured. We know about the pain of Jesus, but what doesn't get a lot of press is the shame of Jesus. As he died on a, on a cross, which was considered to be cursed, and so that's what we did on, on Friday night with our Tenebrae service. It was an incredibly 
powerful evening, an incredible moving evening. And, 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 and the people that I have talked to have said, we have to do this again. We have to do this again next year. And so we're already making plans for that. And now what I want to do is I want to tell you a story, an Easter story that's adapted from the 20th chapter of John. It's a story that begins with an ending. It's the story of a woman who was trapped. She was overtaken and, and, and completely devoured. She was absolutely at the end of herself. She lost hope. You see, and she was compelled by things that were, were out of her control, and there was absolutely no escape for her. She was, in a word, tormented. Sure, there were people who loved her, her family and, and her friends. They longed to be with her, but, but no one would. But it's because no one could. They could not be with her. They couldn't risk it because it was, was too dangerous. People often talk of personal demons that they face. Many of us in this room have faced and are facing our own demons and our own battles. Oftentimes we, we, we speak of the personal demons of, of depression and addiction or abuse And realistically, these are just the tools of the demonic. You see, but when she spoke of demons, she's talking about possession. But not possession from just one demon. but seven. Seven demons tormenting her mind and her body and her soul day after day after day after day. There was no end seemingly in, in sight for her. Like I said, she was, she was at the end of herself. Then one day, she met him. No one really knows when or, or how. All that's said is that she met him, and she knew that he was different. He was different because unlike the others, he was not afraid. 
where others wanted to, to draw near to her and wanted to be with her. They, they couldn't because of fear of being possessed by being overtaken themselves, but he wasn't. He wasn't afraid of her. He wasn't afraid of them. And he didn't try to profit off her condition. He didn't exploit her for his own gain like those evil, evil slave owners we read about that lived in Philippi. That held on to a slave girl who was possessed by a demon and they used her to get rich by telling fortunes. Jesus did not take advantage of her. He didn't exploit her. Instead, he just placed a hand on her head. And he commanded the demons out of her. And they obeyed. She was freed. From that moment on, she was a devoted follower. Going with him where he went, supporting her out of her own funds, they say, for maybe even a period of up to, up to two years. Two years she followed the man that freed her from the demons that were tormenting her, possessing her, keeping her bound and, and, and trapped. Then one day, the soldiers came. And they were led by one of their friends. One of his friends, one of the, one of the 12 guys that he traveled around with and loved and, and, and taught to minister and sent out to do great things in his name. It was he that was leading the soldiers to him. And they found him in a garden. And they arrested him. And they crucified him. And it said that she was there. right alongside his mother. She heard him cry, it is finished. The man who freed her. She, she watched him die. She felt the earth quake. She witnessed the, the rocks splitting in two. She, she experienced the tombs bursting open. She was there when the veil of the temple was, was rent in two. She was there when they buried him in a tomb that was not his own, but one that was hastily donated by a rich man named Joseph. 
And then she, just like the others, experienced the deep shroud of darkness settle down on her and on them as he died. Life was drained out of her. There was nothing but emptiness as she experienced the the pain and the loss. We did our best to try to recreate that in just in, in some small way, but she was there. She she actually lived it. She actually experienced it. She was there when the darkening happened. The next day was the Sabbath. And because she was a Jew, a practicing Jew, she she couldn't do anything. Because it was the Sabbath, and the Sabbath day had to be kept holy, and so you, you didn't do any kind of work. See, but the problem was, is that when they crucified Jesus, he hung on the cross so long that they had to hurriedly take him down. And so because of that, and because of the Sabbath approaching, because the Sabbath begins at sundown, They couldn't properly prepare his body with the, the, the spices. And so I imagine that she and his mother and everyone else spent that Saturday, that silent Saturday, knowing what was going on with his body. See, because they didn't embalm the way we embalm. They tend to let bodies return back to ash, which is much more natural than what we do. We preserve the dead as if they were the living. They let the dead be the dead. And so that means that his body was going to begin to decay. Which means that his body was going to begin to have a horrible stench. And after the the shame and humiliation of the previous day, they couldn't bear that any longer. And so they got up early the next day on Sunday, on 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 the first day of the week. And she, along with his mother, they rushed off to the tomb And they've got their spices in tow because they want to get there to perfume the body so that the stench doesn't come out and cause further shame and and further embarrassment. And as they're talking, they're wondering about this, this, this tomb, and she knows there's a huge stone. And how are they going to get inside to the body? Who's going to roll back the tomb? But when she arrived... She noticed 
that the tomb is open. The stone has been, been rolled back. And she began to weep. Because his body was not there. And in her mind, in that moment, one of their great fears was realized. That somebody had come and taken his body in the night. And so she dropped down to her knees and she began to weep. And as her tears fell and they landed in the, the dirt, her tears created mud that splashed up onto her feet. And as she continues to sob, someone just behind her speaks and says, Ma'am, why are you crying? And startled, she, she turns and she says, They've taken away my Lord, and I, I don't know where they have laid him. It says then that she turned and she looked him full in the face and realized that it was Jesus standing there. And he said, Mary, why, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? See, but right then she still didn't realize that it was him. And so she again says, look, please tell me where you've taken him. Take, tell him where his body is and I'll go get it and I will take care of it. Where have you, where have you put him? And then he spoke her name. He said, Mary. And it was in that moment, it was as if the scales fell off her eyes and she recognized that it was Jesus and she said to him, Rabbi, teacher. And she's overwhelmed because her dark night of the soul has come to an end. Because he, Jesus, is alive. And she ran back and she, she told the others. You see, she was hopelessly, hopelessly lost. She was at the absolute end of her rope, and then she met Jesus, and he healed her. And he promised her resurrection life, and he delivered on that promise. And do you realize 
that she is the first person to see him. And she's also the first person to proclaim the good news. Gospel, that word that we use all the time, it very simply means good news. The first person to ever preach the gospel is Mary Magdalene. He had risen. And because Jesus arose, she was freed from her dark past. Not only in life, but for all eternity. Because Jesus arose, there was renewed hope. Because Jesus arose, she had a chance to begin again. You see, and that's what we get to experience. That's an incredible story, is it not? And it's that story right there that draws us around the table. It's that story right there that allows us to take bread and allows us to take the cup which we're about to participate in. And as we eat of the bread and as we drink the little, the little cup of juice, we think about the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for all of us. We, too, get to experience resurrection life. And so together, let's celebrate what Jesus called the Last Supper. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. And you're so powerful. We're so thankful that we have this, uh, this mode of communication where, where we can talk to you. And we're thankful that we have this, this mode of communication where you've spoken to us and you've told us these stories. But Father, what we're truly grateful for is the resurrection life that we receive and the resurrection life that we get to participate in. Because of Jesus, we, just like Mary, can have new life. And so in just a second, as our plates are passed and we take the little wafer that was probably nothing like what they really used, I pray that you will work through this time the way you worked through our tenebrae service and you will help us in some small way 
to experience that last supper. And Father, I pray that you will help us to recognize as well that as we take this piece of bread and this cup of juice that we are participating in something, not just as a family here, but we are participating with your family worldwide. Thank you for the body of Christ. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's continue praying. Father, there is an old song that says, uh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the truth of that song is that nothing but the blood of Jesus can set us free from our sin. Uh, And the way we received that blood happened on Bad Friday. When Jesus offered his life for us and, and... when he bled from the, the beatings, from the crown being shoved down on his head, but when they pierced his side and blood and water came out and then the guard, the centurion, exclaimed that surely he was the, the son of God. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus that frees us from our sins. Thank you for that love and that grace and that mercy. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we've got just a few minutes left in our time together. And in that time, you know, there's a a desire to talk about what's, what's the most important thing there is. So for a couple of minutes, I just I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your story. I want to talk about my story. You see, because like Mary's story, ours is one that begins with an ending. You see, it's likely that... Someone is here and you you feel like you're at the end of yourself. There's a possibility that there's someone here and you're, you're eaten up with guilt and remorse from things of your past, maybe things that you've done or been accused of, something that someone has falsely laid on you, and because of that you may have given up all hope. might be that someone's here who is addicted, caught in the power of a, a vice that you can't escape on your own. Or it might be that some of you are just stumbling through each day numb with a sense that, that life has no point. And I've experienced a lot of those things. But like Mary, our story begins with an ending. 
You see, because without Jesus, we're, we're dead. We still go about our, our normal routine. We go to work and we go to school, but we do so with dead hopes and dead hearts. We're at the end of ourselves. We're just waiting for our bodies to experience what our souls have already endured. The question then is whether we can have a new beginning through Jesus, just like Mary did. Is it possible for something new to to happen to us? Is forgiveness really freely given to all? Is there really fresh hope? Is there really power for for better living? Is there really a, a purpose to life? If you've come asking those kinds of questions, then the answer is a resounding yes. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus came to offer. You see, every one of us, every one of us needs a chance to start over. Every one of us needs a chance to begin again. Every one of us needs resurrection. Paul knew it. That's why as he's closing out one of the most difficult books he ever wrote, dealing with a church that was absolutely a mess in Corinth. After going through trying to sort out all of their issues, he gets down to the most important thing. And he reminds them, he says, the most important thing, after all this stuff we've talked about, the most important thing for you to remember is the thing that I left you from the beginning and it was what I handed on to you that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. You see, all of this is possible, this new life, this fresh hope, this forgiveness, this being freed from, 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 from demons that, that haunt us daily. All of that is possible because of today, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul would write and he would mock death. And he would say, death has been swallowed up in victory. He would say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the story of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus is so important. You see, because if God can raise Jesus back to life again, then maybe he can give new life to to me and to you. If death is not an obstacle to God, then neither are the guilt and the failure and the scars of the past that we carry. I want you to believe 
that Jesus lives again. Not because it's true, but because of what it means to accept that resurrection life is possible, to accept that endings become beginnings. I'm asking you to have faith that by God's power, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you too can experience new life. Let's pray together.